So I thought I'd start off with some really good humor. Can we do that? All right, so kind of in light of how good Chappie does things like that. Part of that also is inspired by the fact that Kim and I, while we were gone, got to see, to take Ethan back to college, by the way, in Ohio, 2,900 miles round trip, but whoa, long, long drive. But while we were on that drive, the really good part of that was we got to stop in and see family four different times, Kim's brother and sister, my brother, and my dad as well. And when I got to see, when we got to see my dad, he's a 78-year-old man that I admire so much. He's been faithful to the Lord in decades of ministry. He's retired now, but he's just a guy who loves the Lord with all of his heart and all the people that God has put in front of him, and I just admire him so much. But his sense of humor... Not so much. Sometimes he struggles a little bit with that. And he just loves corny jokes. Can I just share with you a few of his favorites? Can I do that? In honor of my dad and in honor of Chappie's humor last week, it doesn't match, but here you go. So dad being a retired, or no, growing up as a farmer, his, his dad, my grandpa was a farmer, he loves things about that. So one of his favorites is, why is corn such a good listener? It's all ears, right? All right, there you go. All right. And, and as a guy with a haircut like mine, he likes things like this. How did the barber win the race? He knew a shortcut. Uh, or, or, or he likes to say, hey, hey, did you know tomorrow is Jamaican hairstyle day? Uh, no, and he goes, yeah, people like us, we're really dreading it. Uh, <laughs> I told you these are terrible, but it's my dad. So, or, or how about some of you older people? You might have had some issues with your teeth, like my dad. He says, what do you call a bear that has no teeth? He's a gummy bear. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Isn't that bad? All right, how about, all right, how about, how about last one? I don't even know if I can tell you this. Do you, can I tell you one more? It's almost, it's almost painful. But he said, he said, so what do you call a pile of cats? In honor of all of us who live in Colorado in the mountains, he, you call it a meowton. <laughs> Is that horrible or what? I told you. But anyway, all right, sorry, sorry. Like I said, I wanted to start off with some good humor. Sorry I failed miserably, but there we go. So, hey, everybody find the little piece of paper. It's a circle. You see that? You should also be able to find a pencil or a pen in your seat back or right there in front of you. If you would, would you take that piece of paper and write on it four letters? The letters T-U-I-T. Write that on that, it, those four letters. This was my dad's favorite from this last week. He's been passing out these pieces of paper, these round circles with that those four letters on it, which spell, of course, the word, not a word, but he spells the word to it, and he goes, now you can never say that you don't have a round to it, because if you need to do something, you know, you can no longer use the excuse, I'll do it when I get around to it, because now you got around to it. There you go. Uh-huh. So that was his favorite. Now hang on to that. I know. <laughs> Chad's never going to get around to it now. Hold on to that, unless your name's Chad, and um, we'll come back to that. But um, this morning, I want to start a new series. 
And it is a series uh, unlike anything I've done before. I have preached from the Gospels for decades. Uh, you know, the Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of Scripture that tell us the story of Jesus' 33 years on this earth, written by four different people, amazing stories. But I have never preached through a book of one of the Gospels. I've preached from them, but never all the way from start to finish. And so I'd like to begin today by uh, doing something I've never done before, and that is going through a Gospel. And I want to turn to the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, which is best case scenario, have your Bible, open it up, turn to the book of Mark with me. If you don't have one with you, you probably can find a Bible in the seat there with you. If you need, you can follow along on the screen as well. But I want us to look through this book together. In fact, let me just open it up here. I want us to look through this book together and study some things. What we're going to do over the next 16 weeks is look at one chapter per week. Now, obviously, there's a lot more in a chapter of God's Word than what I can thoroughly address or explain or preach about. But we're going to pick out different parts from one, chapter 1 today and chapter 2 next week and so forth and go through the entire book of Mark. Let me set it up just a little bit for you, telling you a little bit about who this book is or who, who wrote this book, who Mark was. I can tell you this, first of all, um, Mark is one of my favorites in many respects. Not that, not that uh, uh, well, let me say this. The book is written by Mark, some kind, sometimes called John Mark. But in many respects, it's kind of a book written by Peter in the sense that Peter clearly was very close to Mark. That's talked about in 1 Peter 5. And Mark was not one of the disciples, but he learned a lot. He knew a lot, presumably, probably because Peter shared a lot of things with him. Mark also was the cousin of, of Barnabas and probably learned a lot through his eyes as well. But Mark is a fantastic book. But there's one piece which I'll get to in just a minute that I want you to notice that I really especially love. Um, Mark actually also, interestingly, was a guy we talked about a few weeks ago. He was the guy in the middle of the controversy between Paul and Barnabas. Remember when we were talking about uh, different types of friendships and we talked about disagreeing friends and how sometimes godly brothers and sisters in the Lord can both be right. It's not that one is right, one is wrong. They just disagree. And that happened with Paul and Barnabas, and they chose to part ways. And the center of their disagreement was all about this young man named Mark, who later wrote one of the Gospels. Mark was a guy who had abandoned uh, them on a missionary journey at one point for reasons we're not told. Who knows? Maybe he was homesick, whatever it was. Maybe he was literally sick. But for one reason or another, he abandoned them, and therefore Paul did not trust him any longer. But Mark um, grew in his maturity, in his walk with the Lord, and clearly over time became a different guy. Isn't it cool how God can use all of us? And even though we may be uh, pretty rough at certain points or certain places in our life, over time, if we will allow Him to, He can mold us and shape us and grow us into something bigger and better and greater and more honoring and more faithful and all of these things. And that apparently is what happened with Mark. Because later in life, Paul talks about Mark being somebody he wants to have brought to him. He wants to talk with him because he admires him. And so clearly he has a change of heart toward him. And I love that about Mark. There's a lot of things there that can inspire us. You know, this book, though, written by Mark, a.k.a. John Mark, was also written to the Roman Christians, um, the Gentiles, people that in many respects would be kind of like us, people living in a world that was not real conducive to Christianity. 
a world that, that uh, in fact, under the leadership of Nero, the emperor, did horrible things, persecuted the Christians in horrific ways. And so Mark is writing his, his book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to encourage and strengthen the Christians in a world that is anything but welcoming toward Christianity. And I love that because it applies in many respects to where we're at today in America as Christians living in a world that, in a country that, that may have been founded on Christianity but no longer seems to be bent toward honoring God and, and being Christ-like in most respects. This book was written during uh, that. In fact, another interesting thing, it was probably the first of the four Gospels written, and even though it's the shortest, uh, all but 31 short verses of this book are reiterated in the other Gospels, so it's the most substantiated, at least by the, by the other Gospels of the four, and it's a fantastic book in a lot of ways, and I want to just look at it with you. If you have your Bible, you can turn, follow along. I won't put all of this on the screen, and obviously we're not going to read the whole thing, but chapter one begins by, John, by Mark talking about John the Baptist. In contrast to like the book of Luke, where, where it begins with Jesus' birth and Bethlehem being, being talked about and how he grew up and, of course, the shepherds and the Christmas story, you know, the Magi and all of that. Mark doesn't talk about any of that. He goes right to when Jesus is a grown-up, but he doesn't even start with Jesus. He starts by talking about John the Baptist, who was known to be prophesying and preparing the way for Jesus. John, of course, was, was Jesus's cousin, and John was preparing the way for Jesus. And some interesting little details, Mark writes about John, like that he wore uh, clothes made from camel's hair, that he ate locusts and honey, kind of a crazy thought. When we were in Ohio, we saw a lot of, well, we, I thought we heard a lot of locusts, but I was corrected. No, those are cicada. They're not locusts. They're different. I'm like, okay, I didn't know the difference. They're just really loud. And uh, we don't have them in Colorado, I don't think, not that I know of. But, but uh, John the Baptist was said to have eaten these and lived an eccentric life as he prepared the way for Jesus, whom he said he was not even fit to tie the sandals of this man. But the first time we see Jesus' name being mentioned, oh, and by the way, he goes on to, throughout the book to talk about uh, Jesus healing people and a variety of other things. But the first time we see Jesus' name, is, where's it at? Verse 9, when Jesus is baptized. The very first verse about Jesus in the book of Mark shows that Jesus was baptized. And verse 11 then says, and a voice came from heaven. Wouldn't it be awesome? How many of you have ever longed to hear an audible voice from God? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's what happened in this moment. A voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Oh, wow, what a moment. Wouldn't it have been incre incredible to be there? I don't know if you're a parent. Most of you, many of you are probably. Uh, like Kim and I, you're probably also well pleased. I hope you are with your children. We're well pleased with Ethan in college. We're well pleased with Garrett, who we left behind, and he did not burn the house down. We thought that was great. You know, we're well pleased with both our boys, though, in many, many respects. And anyway, from this point of Jesus being baptized, uh, right after that, verse 12, as you see there, immediately after that, Jesus was taken away by the Spirit of God to be tempted. Now, the other Gospels talk in more detail about this temptation of Christ and what that looked like, but uh, Mark mentions that. And then from verse 12, move right forward, verse 14 says, and then he called his first disciples 
uh, two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And from there, he cast out demons. He healed people. But I want you to notice something as you kind of look at the overview of this first chapter of Mark, and really the whole book of Mark, in that, that there is a key concept, a key word that comes up more frequently in Mark than it does in any of the other Gospels. In fact, more than all the other Gospels put together. Now, as you know, this Bible that we have in our hands was not originally written in English. I think everybody knows that. This that we're reading was written in Greek. And in the Greek, there is a really cool word that is translated, um, it's pronounced, I have to always think about it, euthios, euthios, it's pronounced that way in the Greek, and it simply means, or is usually translated in English, immediately, immediately. Sometimes it might say at once, or maybe straight away, or something like that. Sometimes it's only implied and not even actually, there's not even a word there. There's no perfect translation in Scripture. Um, I'll tell you this, one of my favorites of late has become the ESV, the English Standard Version. I've really enjoyed reading that. I've always been a New International Version guy. There's a whole bunch of versions of Scripture. There's really no wrong way to read the Bible. But, but in the ESV, let me show you four of the examples of this word. Verse 10, if you see it, verse 10 we read this, And when he came up out of the water, this meaning Jesus right after being baptized, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Right before he heard, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Then verse 12, then the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus went from one of the highest moments to one of the most difficult, being tempted by by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. Then, verse 18, and immediately, this is so cool, right after he calls the two sets of brothers, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John, right after he calls them to be his disciples, what does the Bible say? They immediately left their nets and followed him. That's pretty awesome. I mean, think about it. These are guys in a career. This is their life. This is what they do. Jesus says, come, follow me. All right? They drop their nets and they follow him. Why would they do that? Well, I wish they were here to tell us exactly what was going on in their mind at that moment, but God called them. Jesus called them, and they responded, setting a beautiful example for us as well. Another one. Let me show you one more. There's actually many, but verse 42, and immediately, this is after Jesus had met a guy with leprosy and had had healed him, and the Bible says, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. And all this word, euthios, is found no less than 40 times in the book of Mark, more than the other three Gospels all put together. Now, why is that? Well, I don't know for sure, but I'd like us to talk about this concept. There was no tardiness about Christ's service in any respect. There was a sense of urgency with everything He did, an immediacy, a, a, a understanding of importance, no holding back, no reluctance, no slack about His work. And we can all learn from His example I think all of us need to probably have a greater sense of urgency in probably many various contexts within our life. You know, interestingly, though, I'll tell you this, as we'll get to chapter 4, four weeks from now, right? Chapter 4 of Mark, we see this word not only applying to Jesus. Verse 15 of chapter 4 says, Satan came immediately to them, using that same word, euthios. And just a few verses later in verse 17, immediately the people stumbled so in other words, 
quickness or even urgency can be seen in negative ways as well. People quick to do things wrong or, or um, Satan, our enemy, being quick to be on the prowl and do his business as well. So we need to all understand this concept and look for it on both ends of the spectrum, looking for ways to do what is right immediately with eagerness and yet also understand that over here there are those that are seeking to do harm and do what is wrong and lead us down bad paths with a sense of urgency as well. So my question today that I think we all need to wrestle with and think about is what is going on in our lives that we need to have a more focused sense of urgency about? What is it in your particular life that God wants you to be more focused on, that He wants you to have a, um, have a fire lit under you, that you would pick up the pace with? Let me ask you, who has ever, and I'm looking for a show of hands, who has ever at least once in their life procrastinated something? Anybody? All right. All right. All right. How many struggle with it on an ongoing basis? You know, it's like an... All right, how many of you struggle with lying? I think uh, maybe more of you, because I only saw like eight hands. Come on, it's a bigger deal than that for most of us probably. We struggle with procrastination. We often know this thing that we need to do, this thing we need to put in place in our life, and yet we struggle to do it. How many of you ever feel guilty about it? Like, yeah, I know I shouldn't procrastinate. I don't know why I do that. I just do. I think a lot of us are in this boat. And over and over I see in the book of Mark this concept, euthios, urgency. And I love it. It sometimes can make us uncomfortable, you know, but, uh, and maybe we even hate it in the moment, but actually being reminded of the sense of urgency and need to get in gear and get rolling with X, Y, Z, A, B, C, whatever it is that God has called us to can be a powerful thing. So this morning I'd like to just ask you to think about what is it that God wants you to have a greater sense of urgency in reference to. I just spent some time thinking and praying about that, and I came up with a list of six things that might fit somebody in here. Maybe one of them is it. Maybe it's all six. Maybe it's three. I don't know. And maybe it's, it's something not on my little list, which is, of course, very likely. But let me give you six things. If you're filling in the blanks, here you go. Six things that that God might, that I'm just sensing, that maybe God might be wanting to speak to some of you about that He wants you to have a greater sense of urgency in reference to, that you, want to, that you need to learn to, to get more involved. You need to have this euthios mindset of immediately doing something. Maybe the first one is simply this. Immediately, you need to start taking care of your temple. Your temple. Based on 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, it was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Maybe some of you have felt for a long time, yeah, I need to start exercising. You know, I need to learn to eat differently. I need to eat less. I need to, you know, whatever, something along that line. But you haven't been doing it. You think about it, but you don't do it. Maybe today's the day that you say, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to start getting on that treadmill every day or whatever it is. How about this one? Number two, maybe it's immediately you need to start practicing forgiveness. That can come on either side of the coin. Maybe you need to learn from what Jesus said in, Mar in Matthew 6 when He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Maybe you need to learn to forgive 
that person that has hurt you so deeply that you have held on to in terms of your thoughts and your pain and your unforgiveness. And it's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. It's consuming you from the inside out. And maybe you need to learn to forgive. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But maybe that is what God wants to say to you. Or maybe it's on the other side of the coin of forgiveness. Maybe it's more what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when He said, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, doesn't say whether it's legit or not, but if they think you have done something wrong to them, you need to leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Maybe rather than forgiving others, what God is wanting to say to you today is you need to learn to seek forgiveness because you know who's mad at you. You know they're upset with you because of whatever it is, and you need to go and seek reconciliation. Now, we, of course, need to look at Scripture in context and remember that God said through Paul in Romans 12 that we need to understand that, that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, you need to seek reconciliation, but sometimes it's not possible. You do your part, though. You need to do what God has called you to do. Maybe that's what God wants to say to you today. Maybe it's number three. Maybe you need to immediately start trusting God with your money. Maybe you need to start actually being generous. You need to begin to tithe. You need to begin to save. You need to, I don't know, but God is calling you, speaking to you about how to handle your money. You know, a favorite verse for a lot of people, it, for very good reason, is Hebrews 13, 5, when the Bible says, God says, He's quoted to say, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, isn't that comforting? I will never leave you or forsake you. Incredible. But you know what comes right before that? The sentence that leads up to that, we need to also remember, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Seek first, Jesus would say in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom and, or his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Maybe it's number four. Maybe you've seen others recently and you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit to follow suit, to come forward, but you've not done it. And you need to follow Jesus' example, as we saw in the beginning of this book. And you need to immediately be baptized. You need to be baptized, like Jesus was here. Or, or like, maybe my favorite story about baptism is seen in, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, when there's this guy, uh, he's just called an Ethiopian eunuch, we're not told his name, and apparently he's a wealthy guy, he's in a chariot, he's riding down the road in his chariot, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. But he doesn't understand it, And as Philip understands. When Philip runs alongside and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? No, how can I? Well, get on up in here and tell me. So they sat down together in the chariot, and the Bible doesn't tell us all the conversation, but clearly he led him to understand the need to commit to the Lord, to surrender to the Lord, to trust in the Lord, and to be baptized. Because, look at verse, look at verse uh, 36, where it says, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Immediately, he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Immediately, euthios, right then. Maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Look, there's water. 
I've seen other people in that recently. Why not today? Why not today? You know what? In case you hesitate because of practical or, or logistical things like, well, I didn't bring anything to change into. You know, I don't have my hair dryer or my towel or whatever. We've got all that stuff right back there. We've got clothes and towels and hair dryers for people like me that have, you know, a lot of hair needs. So we want you to understand today. Why not today? Why not today? How about number five? Maybe he's saying this to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants you to understand. He wants you to immediately start taking the Great Commission seriously. Immediately. You know, some of the last words Jesus said on this earth, right before He went back into heaven to go and prepare a place for us, and when it's ready, He's going to come and take us to be with Him. Right before He left to go start that, He said this, and I love how He begins. He says, he, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a big statement. Nobody has more authority in heaven or on earth than me. Wow. And based on that, he says, with that as the foundation, listen to me. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the first of his two missions. Go and make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Maybe he wants you to start doing that, to go and quit being afraid, quit being worried about what other people are going to say or how they might respond or, or any of that, and just share the truth that you know about Jesus. You don't have to know it all, but be a, be a light, be a lamp, be, a, be salt in our world that needs Him so badly. And secondly, He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Maybe that's what we need to focus on. Maybe you just invite them to come with you to come to listen to the elder-led Sunday school class or talk to Craig Walker about getting into a life group or, or, or maybe it's to come on Thursday morning to the men's Bible study that, that Bob uh, Sturgeon and I lead together or, or get involved in a women's Bible study. Whatever. Come on Sunday morning. But you need to learn. You need to grow. But it's not just about you. It's about those that maybe God wants you to to witness to, to lead, to help, to mature and grow. Maybe it's number six. This is what's been heavy on my heart as I thought a lot about it. Uh, and that is that maybe God's saying, I want you to commit to reading my holy and awesome word. My awesome, holy word. You know, I talked to a friend from church uh, just a couple of weeks ago who came up and complimented me, and I loved it. He was really, it, it was a big compliment because he said, Scott, I just got to tell you, I love how you use so much scripture when you're preaching, but also when you're just in conversation. When we hang out and talk, and I ask you a question, you almost always are saying something about, well, God's Word says this, or in John it says this, or Matthew it says this. And I said, you know, well, that just comes from reading the Bible. You know, you can do that too. Just spend time in the Bible, and all of a sudden you'll start being able to do the same. And he's like, well... And I would guess most of us have used this little phrase as an excuse at some point along the line in one way or another. He just said, well, I would like to, and maybe someday, but right now I'm just, what? Too busy. I'm just too busy. You know, there are, I looked it up this week, there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. If you read one verse per day, you can read the whole thing in your life. It will take you, if you divide that 31,102 by 365 days, it'll take you 85.2 years, but you will read the whole Bible in your lifetime if you live to 85.2 years old. And you know what? That's an incredibly slow pace, isn't it? But that's a faster pace than what many people are on. 
we need to get into God's Word. There is power in His Word. You can listen to me or your favorite other person you listen to online and read all kinds of great books and things that others have written, and all of that is fine. It can even be really healthy and good. But the most important and significant thing that you need to be plugged into is God's holy, awesome Word in a personal, preferably daily pattern. And, you know, a lot of us tend to get it in our head that, well, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Yeah, I need to do that. feel guilty that I'm not doing that. But I'm just too busy. Or, well, I do want to do that, but, oh, it's kind of like, you know, like, drinking Pepto-Bismol or castor oil. It's something I know is good for me. You know, it's kind of like taking that whatever medicine that makes you feel better, fixes your upset stomach, but it's painful or it's difficult. It's laborious. It's hard. It's... And I just want you to understand that's not true. With God's Word, that is not true in any way whatsoever. In fact, look at how the psalmist begins the book of Psalms. He says this, oh, the joys not the, oh, the difficulty. He says, oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight, they delight in the Word, the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, and therefore they're like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They're, they prosper in all they do. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want to be like that? Or, or like what Jer or Joshua says in chapter 1, very similarly, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Who doesn't want to be prosperous and successful? We all do. And the key is not to do some terrible thing like drinking castor oil, it's to do something that is joyful, and that is to get into reading God's Word. Oh, there's nothing better. I want to challenge you and encourage you to say, Lord, would you speak to me today? Maybe it's one of these six things that I need to put in motion. Maybe it's three or four of them. I don't know. But I want to encourage you at a bare minimum, would you at least jump on number six with me? As we get ready for chapter two next week and chapter three the week after and so forth, I'd like to ask you, would you consider reading that chapter in the preceding week? Maybe it's early next Sunday morning. Maybe it's today and then Monday and Tuesday, meditating on it, day, reading it. It'll probably take you three or four minutes to read Mark chapter 2. Maybe you read through that tomorrow and the next day, and, and by next Sunday you'll have it almost memorized or at least really familiar with it. And God can even work through what we're talking about in a greater way in your life. But there's no such thing as being too busy. If you want something bad enough, you will make time for it. Because that's the main excuse people say, oh, I know reading the Bible's good. I need to do that. Yeah, I should. I'm just too busy. But I'll get around to that at some point. You know, I looked up this week, and I'm, I'll just share real brief, briefly with you some interesting quotes I found about, about making excuses. Aren't we all the king and queen of making excuses in one way or another. And I, ran, I found some interesting quotes. Um, first of all, a guy named George Washington Carver. You probably know him. He was not one of our presidents, but he said this. 99% of all families, or failures, I mean, 99% of all failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. Jim Rohn said, if you really want something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. 
How about Florence Nightingale, founder of Modern Nursing? She once said, I attribute my success to this. I never gave or took an excuse. I like what Brian Tracy said. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you cannot make both. Maybe my favorite of these quotes that I found this week is by John Wooden, the uh, late great basketball coach for UCLA. Won 10 national championships. Great man. Anyway, great basketball coach and, and a guy who follows the Lord. He once said, never make excuses. Your friends don't need them and your foes won't believe them. Well said, isn't it? One more, a guy named Brian Pulsifer once said, instead of making excuses, take action. You'll be surprised how often you accomplish what you thought was difficult. I was talking with Rob Gleghorn, one of our elders, about this this week, and he said, you know, it sounds a lot like this guy I knew that uh, became a surfer. He was not a surfer initially, but he uh, became real good friends with another guy, and they decided to room together. They were living on the coast in California, and his buddy was a longtime accomplished surfer, really good at it. And so he told his new buddy, hey, uh, you ought to join me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up every morning. I go to bed kind of early, I get up pretty early as well so that I can hit the beach around 5, 5.30 every morning because that's when the waves are best and then I can get done and then still go to work and whatever. And the guy was like, oh, I don't want to do that. But he got tired of having to be quiet at night and then having to be, you know, woke up early in the morning. So he finally said, all right, fine, I'll just follow his routine and I'll let him try to teach me how to surf. So he went and started doing that with him, but it was laborious. It was difficult. It was a chore, and he was bad at it. And all he felt like he was doing was eating sand and swallowing salt water every day. He's like, this is terrible. I hate it. That surfing is a horrible thing. But, but over time, he got a little better. And eventually, once he figured out how to catch a wave, he caught the fever, and he just fell in love with that thing. And then it became something he didn't do because it was a chore, because he felt like he was supposed to or needed to or whatever, but because he wanted to. He, couldn't, he got to a place, he told Rob, where he couldn't hardly imagine uh, a day when he wouldn't get up early and go surfing. It became his joy, his focus. And that's the way reading God's Word can become. If you will get into it and get over the hump, maybe initially it feels like a chore, but if you'll just push through that for a little while, all of a sudden you'll start realizing how much life and joy and purpose and, and, and amazing good things come from being in God's Word. You just need to spend time. you just got to do it. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. Get into God's Word. Beyond any of these quotes, let me finish with this. A couple of things from Scripture. Romans chapter 13, God tells us this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake, or to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We are closer than we think. There needs to be a sense of urgency. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Similarly, Isaiah said in chapter 55, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Clearly inferring, he may not always be found. He may not always be near, but he is now. So have a sense of urgency. Do it today, immediately, as we see throughout the book of Mark. Immediately, get plugged into doing what God has called you to do. Let's close with this one. In Psalm 95, the Bible says, Come, let us bow down in worship. We're going to do this together in just a moment. The band's going to come out in just a minute. We're going to sing. We're going to worship Maybe that means you bow down. You literally come and kneel where you're at or up here on the steps. Maybe you lift your hands in worship, close your eyes, look up to heaven. I don't know. It's up to you. 
But maybe you need to today come and bow down and worship. Kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, not tomorrow, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. If God is speaking to you and saying, yes, I want you, and he's looking, you feel like He's looking you in the eye and just saying, I want you to do number, and you one, two, three, four, five, six, or maybe it's something else, not on the list. Why not today? Why not have a sense of urgency and do it today? Euthios. That round to it, piece of paper. I want you to take that and maybe you write down the number one or two or four or whatever it is out of the list today. Or maybe it's something on your own, number seven or ten or whatever that you think of. Put that in your pocket. Take it home. Put it in your purse. I don't know. But let God remind you through that corny, silly little joke that my dad likes that now you don't have the excuse of saying, well, I'll get to that when I get around to it because you're there. Why not today? Why not today? Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Why not come forward today? Maybe you've been there, but you didn't follow through and get baptized. Why not today? Maybe you need to write the name of a person that you need to leave here and go and ask forgiveness from or offer forgiveness to. Any of these might be the one that applies, but I want to encourage you to do it today. Would you join me in prayer? Actually, how about this? Would you stand with me? And let's pray together this simple prayer. Lord, Lord, we want to do whatever it is you call us to do, and we want to do it with the right sense of urgency in the timing that you want. Oh, Lord, help us to trust you. And if you are prompting us with number one, two, three, four, five, six, or something else, Lord, would you give us the self-discipline, the gumption, the whatever word we want to use to follow through by the power of your Holy Spirit, to commit to doing it today. Lord, would you lead us in this respect to get off of the high-centered spot that we may feel stuck on, to resist the temptation to say, I'm going to procrastinate that, put it off, I'll get it done next week, next month, next year. Help us, Lord, to have a sense of urgency to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. So right now, in this moment, as we sing this song about what Jesus did for us on the cross, Lord, we want to offer you our whole heart, everything we are, and we want to openly say, Father, I'm all yours, and whatever you want me to do, Lord God, I am yours, and I will do it today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people together said, Amen. Let's worship. Let's sing. Let's respond.